0: Hello everybody, this is Father John Arnold, and this is Oral Valley Catholic. Have you ever heard the Golden Legend of Saint Martha the Dragon Slayer? It's contained in a medieval book called The Golden Legend, or the Legenda Ore or the Legenda Sanctorum, the Holy Stories, and it's from the thirteenth century by a man named Jacobos de Voragine. And it was widely read in late medieval Europe, and it was full of just different stories about saints, uh, what's called hagiography, where there's a story of a miracle. There's a story of this this supernatural uh, holiness in the person. Um, What the historical basis for these stories are, who can say? They're not from Scripture But there were thousands of these manuscripts are still around, though they were first composed in sometime between 1259 and 1266. and were still in use as late as the Reformation. And so in one of the stories in the Golden Legend is a story about St. Martha, the dragon slayer. The reason I tell the story is that the gospel from Luke for the 16th Sunday of ordinary time is also about St. Martha and her sister Mary. But this story does not appear in scripture. But here's the story that Jacob is told in the 13th century. How far back it goes, who can say? But this is the story. At that time, in the forest along the Rhone River, between Ariès and Avignon, this is the south of France, there was a dragon that was half animal and half fish, larger than an ox, longer than a horse, with teeth as sharp as horns and a pair of bucklers on either side of his body. This beast lurked in the river, killing all those who tried to sail by and sinking their vessels. The people asked Martha for help, and she went after the dragon. She found him in the forest in the act of devouring a man, sprinkled him with holy water, and had a cross held up in front of him. The brute was subdued at once and stood still like a sheep while Martha tied him up with her girdle. And then the people killed the monster with their stones and lances. So that's the story of St. Martha the Dragon Slayer. And if your name is Martha, this is a story about your patron saint. So what's the dragon that Martha was called on to kill? Um, Is it a symbol for something like the great serpent? Uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan. And so we'll return to this theme and speculate a little bit about St. Martha the Dragon Slayer. But now let's turn and talk about the gospel. So in this Sunday's readings, the first reading from the book of Genesis is about Abraham and his hospitality to three visitors to his camp near the Oaks of Mamre and then in the gospel of luke it's about martha and mary's hospitality to jesus but let's start about talking about the duty of hospitality and ancient duty it was even recounted in the greek literature uh, that duty is an important obligation that a homeowner owes to another person especially when they're out on the road in the law in the law of uh, of moses He had a special duty to aliens abroad in the land. So in Genesis 18, which is a story about Abraham camped by the terebinth of Mamre, three angels, or maybe it's one God, three divine persons, but three divine beings um, come to Abraham's camp, and he receives them. And this is late in the Abraham cycle. And the whole story in Genesis about Abraham is how he goes from being a pretty self-centered guy that thinks about Abraham to being first a good husband, then a good father. And because he's the patriarch, he is the, he is the people that, for, through whom the Jewish people, the people of Israel come from. He's the very person that God made three promises to. He'd give him a land to call his own. He'd give him descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and he'd make them a blessing on all nations. And this is the story about how it is that these promises to Abraham came true. So these three divine beings come to his tent um, and Abraham bowing to the ground says, "'Sir, if I may ask you this favor, "'please do not go on past your sermon. "'Let some water be brought that you may bathe your feet, "'and then rest yourselves under the tree. Now that you have come this close to your servant, Abraham said, let me bring you a little food that you may refresh yourselves, and afterwards you may go on your way. And then the three men replied, Very well, do as you said. So Abraham went to see his wife Sarah, said, Quick, make some bread. Abraham himself saw to the slaughtering of an animal so that he could prepare it and roast it for the people. And then he brought uh, the three divine figures something to eat. The story concludes with the three asking Abraham, where's your wife, Sarah? To which he said, "There are in your tent. And then one of them said, and I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah will then have a son. And so Sarah laughed at that. And that's why she was given that name. He was, Isaac was given the name Laughter. Because Sarah was over a hundred years old when she conceived, even Abraham had problem believing it. He, he accompanies these people out of the camp, and they tell him they're on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So in this story about Abraham, there's the story of destruction and leaving something behind, and then there's the story of a new creation, a new family uh, coming out of uh, out of the. Meal between with the three men had with with Abraham, and so the duty of hospitality is this ancient duty, um, and who Abraham was showing hospitality obvious showing his hospitality to is obviously God. That's why this is the first reading uh, for this Sunday, because that's the Trinity, or this is God and two angels, or however you want to understand it as Jewish or Christian, but. Blessings come to your home when you show hospitality. So about a millennia or more later, Martha and Mary welcomed Jesus, the Lord, into their home. Perhaps he was one of those three visitors uh, to the Tent of Abraham at the Terebinth of Mamre. And it says, interestingly in the scripture, that it was Martha's home. Mary was just her sister that was living uh, with her. And so Martha had just kind of taken over and was providing hospitality. And for many of you who think of yourself as a Martha type, here is the story about Martha's attempt to show hospitality to Jesus, a divine person, in Luke chapter 10. So Jesus entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, you do not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving. Tell her to help me. And the Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. So is Jesus complaining that Martha is showing hospitality? God forbid, this is not what the complaint is. Is Jesus concerned that Mary isn't helping? Well, Mary should help, right? Uh, Everyone should pitch in what he is, but it's not the focus of his concern. The focus of his concern is that Martha is anxious and worried about many things. How can you be about the Lord's work if you work out of anxiety? You know, one chapter later in Luke, um, they're talking about our blessed lady who apparently ponders but never gets particularly anxious and worried she trusts so much in the lord and so someone cries out to him about women in his life and jesus and here's how the passage is from luke 11 chapter verse 28 while he was speaking a woman from the crowd called called out to him and said blessed is the womb that carried you in the breast at which you nursed and he replied rather blessed are those who hear the word of god and observe it and so Think about all of this as a reflection back on the story of Martha and Mary. Mary, in the posture of a disciple, listening to the word of God. Mary, too much concerned about the work she is doing. And so it isn't that it's unimportant, but it's just upside down. Here's how we would say it, I think, in the present. Being very concerned about work-life balance. What happens when you just are in constant crisis mode? everything's absolutely a hurry. Well, you're, that's really what Martha's problem is. Not that she's a hard worker, not that she takes care of the people in her life, but it's just she does it with such anxiety. The need for work balance in her life um, is about really two good things. The first is the love of God, uh, contemplation, presence to God. And the second is the sanctity we bring in the world through our work what happens when you turn it upside down and work becomes more important than rooting what you do in god you know our pursuit of comfort our pursuit of having everything in order our pursuit of a clean house or a successful business these are all very good things until they crowd out what that which is essential um rootedness uh, in the Word of God, in, in Christ. Because if you pursue, it seems to me, uh, work and success and the perfect life, if you're the Martha steward of your home, and that becomes the most important drive in your life, well, probably a deeper malaise is setting in when you try to substitute success in various kinds of ways in the work that you've taken on your life Um, for the sense of being rooted in God. You know, it's really an American disease I would like to take a little time to talk about because it really is about St. Martha, the dragon slayer. What's the dragon she's slaying? Maybe it's uh, being a slave to work. Maybe it's being a slave to the idea that the real value that comes into your life is being productive. It's having, I think, a very um deleterious effect on American life and the spiritual life of many Catholics. So let's take a minute and talk about a problem that's been identified in our culture as workism. Work is a way that human beings sanctify life. Uh, in a society that works, whatever the job that we do if it's offered to god and if it's for the good of other human beings work is a way that we love god creation and other human beings but workism is when you replace god with your ambitions for success or the sense of productivity that work can bring you and it becomes in a very important sense the deity that you worship so here's a good question to bring to mind when you're trying to decide uh, where work fits into your life. When you think about your calendar, say on Gmail or Outlook, or when you think of the beginning of your week, does your week begin on Sunday or Monday? In short, does it begin with a day of worship, or does it begin with the first work day? and just continue on eating up all of worship in your life. Because worship is at the heart of what it means to be a human being. So how you think about the beginning of your week, at the root of your life, is it worship or work? In 2019, a young man named Derek Thompson, who was a writer for the magazine, The Atlantic, wrote an article called Workism is Making Americans Miserable. And he's probably a millennial. I think he's a millennial. And it's this new generation's take on what all of the older people, including myself, have thought of simply as a good work ethic. And so to have our work ethic challenged is probably something worthwhile thinking about. He said, this is Mr. Thompson, for the college-educated elite, work is morphed into a religious identity, promising transcendence and community, but failing to deliver. And uh, as work has declined for people in the amount of time, has co- declined on the whole for people who don't have a college education, for people who have a college education, work has started to grow to basically consume life. Uh, Mr. Thompson wrote that in the decline of traditional faith in America, this has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, and others worship their children. But everybody worships something, and workism is amongst the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism, he asks? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose, and the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. Well, it's how people think about themselves, and you don't want to make too much of it, But you think about yourself as a spouse? Or do you think about yourself as somebody's daughter or son? Or do you think about yourself as a lawyer, a business person, um, or some other line of work? What is your sense of identity? Because identity has become a huge thing, obviously, in our country. And what we do for a living seems to be part of that. But what happens when it squeezes out your identity as a child of God. So back to Derek Thompson's article. He says, on the average, the, year, the work year has shrunk by more than 200 hours a year. But he says, those figures don't tell the whole story. Rich, college-educated people, especially men, work more than they did many decades ago. They're reared from their teenage years to make their passion their career And if they don't have a calling, they're told not to yield until they find one. Economists of the early 20th century did not foresee that work might evolve from a means of material production to a means of identity production. They failed to anticipate that for the poor and the middle class, work would remain a necessity. They live paycheck to paycheck for the most part. A lot of people do. But for the college-educated elite, it would morph into a kind of a religion, promising identity, transcendence, and community. Call it workism. Well, here's some, a personal anecdote. When I first started practicing law back in 1982, I th- think that we started out with my law firm requiring that I bill 1,600 hours a year of billable time. That is time that could actually be billed to a client, that the client would pay the bill and thus they could compensate me and pay from the, the office that I took up. By the time I left in 1994, that requirement had gone up to 2,200 hours a year. Well, the big difference is, the difference now people thought about practicing law from a profession to a business is what I would say, but also the lack of reality in it. The 1,600 hours, it assumed you are gonna do business development, that you are gonna take a lunch, And you would have some time where you would just talk generally with colleagues at the law firm that you weren't actually billing anybody for. At 2,200 hours, well, that's 42 hours a week of billable time. Um, You know, just think about that and ask what lawyers really do with all their time. So personal anecdote aside, productivity has really been ratcheted up especially for college-educated people, men and women. You know, the other thing, the antidote about the present um, is work is supposed to be a passion, and Derek Thompson comments on that. Uh, Follow your passion. One of the things I've commented on is I look at applications from young people who are looking for work in the church at the diocesan or parish level, The number of people who have applied, not necessarily all young Catholics either, but the number of young people who have applied who as part of their resume or cover letter have said what their passion is, and their passion is uh, fill in the blank. I can tell you from uh, putting together resumes and applying for jobs in my past, I have never used the word passion to describe work. I've enjoyed work. I actually do like to work. I probably worked too much. And I think if I look back on my young life, I definitely worked too much. I definitely had very poor work-life balance. Um, and I think a young, a lot of young people who are trying to make it in the professions and perhaps in uh, American business do have work-life balance problems. It squeezes out dating, it squeezes out family. It's, uh, I remember in uh, the law firm I was at, um, Partner stood up and told all the wives that if they wanted to have, this is a direct quote, according to one of the wives who I talked to, this is 30 years ago, if you want to have that Jaguar in the driveway, then you get better get used to not seeing your husband on weekends, which I thought they thought was pretty, pretty wild. Uh, it's also why people left that firm and, and looked for something else to do. Um, for me, It was a different kind of calling. It was a sense about meaning and purpose in life, which I thought priesthood would bring, and I think is delivered. Though, frankly, still a pretty steady line of work, though my billable rate's a lot lower, like zero. Um, But you know, this whole thing about pursuing your passion in life, uh, pursuing success in a profession or a career, it isn't just males. It's also women who have gone to elite universities. In 2018, they did a survey of women in elite universities, and they found that their attitude towards work and success were really not any different from their from their male counterparts. And then, when the Pew Research uh, Company did a poll on youth, and especially what they thought was important, about 95 percent of teens said having a job or career they enjoy would be extremely or very important. And so that the idea of just having a job as a means of of, uh, making a living to support a family, about 95% of the teens don't think like that. Maybe they grow into it, I I really couldn't say. But if 95% were looking for that kind of success from work, um, well, what is giving way? To that. What's taking a lesser priority? According to the Pew report, 81% said that a priority was helping other people who are in need, which means 20% of the teens would rank fairly lower helping people in need than having a satisfying career. And then getting married, 47% ranked that as important, less than half. But you know, it's it's interesting that in terms of happiness, marriage, And happiness and marriage and family have so much more to do with happiness than most of the work that people do. Could be that Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, thinking the head of these multi-billion dollar corporations, is tremendously satisfying. But that is a distinct minority in American work culture. And so the question of your passions, is it worship or is it work? Where does meaning and purpose come from in your life? And St. Martha the dragon slayer, what's the dragon she has to slay? Well, in 1952, Dr. Joseph Pieper, a philosopher, he was a German, wrote a book called Leisure, The Basis of Culture. And what Pieper noticed was the growing of this obsession with work in especially capitalist cultures um, in the East German culture, which he could look across the wall and see, the idea that you were just a cog in a machine, this wasn't going to make anybody happy. But in the West, where you could pursue a career that you could make you millions, people sought much more from careers and works than they did under communism. But people said both on the East and the West side of the Berlin Wall that something was missing and that human beings looked at work. He said that human beings are creatures who necessarily embrace activities higher and broader than mere toil. For people, silence, rest, leisure, this is what is necessary for a full human life. If you don't have time to think about what you're doing, time to rest, and time for other activities outside of work, you simply become a little bee working in a hive. By leisure, what people meant was the spirit in which man receives life and the things of life as a gift. Leisure sitting on the back porch with a friend, having a nice meal, having a terrific conversation, and appreciating the beauty of life. And you know what? Work never comes up in the conversation. How often does that happen in your experience before you were retired? The modern worker... In the world of work, Pieper says, can't do this because the demand of work is so all-encompassing. So for Pieper, a human life starts with worship, not work, because worship is directing your life towards God and making sacrifices for God. When all the sacrifices in your life are for success and work, People suggest you have made an idol of work, uh, and it's an idol that cannot deliver happiness. And so think about this story about St. Martha the dragon slayer, and think about where the dragon comes from. Martha, according to Jesus, is anxious about being seen as a successful homemaker in providing hospitality to the Lord. And this, we would all agree, is important but not of ultimate importance. Of foundational importance is the worship of God. And that's why Mary, her sister, had the better part. And that when your worship, your quiet before God, at the center of your life, becomes the foundation with which you pursue hospitality or work outside the home. Um, This is what gives life meaning and purpose and keeps it, in its proper boundaries. Otherwise, what happens? You're just getting run by your boss or your desire for success or your desire for money. Um, So who's God in your life? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God of the workplace? Are you Martha or are you Mary? What I'd suggest is you're both. And to be a whole person is to understand your need for quiet before the Lord, Leisure to understand and receive life as a gift and offer it back to God so that when you go to work, you're really thinking of what the purpose of work is, how it is you lift up the needs of others that you serve at work and also serve the beauty of creation. And so St. Martha the dragon slayer, the dragon she slays, workism. Maybe she could be your patron saint. God bless you, and I'll see you again next week on Oro Valley Catholic.